Well, we're going to continue in our ser- series this week, again, in preparation for living in difficult times, and uh, specifically, ministry together in the body of Christ. Um, I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face. I'll say it a thousand times over. You're going to hear me say it till you're sick of me hearing me say it, is that I love our church family, and I think you should love our church family, and I think you should get to know your church family. I think you should get to know your family well. Uh, I'm thankful for a church family. I'm thankful that we have the freedoms and the privilege yet to come together as a church family. And uh, I hope in the days and months and years ahead that we even draw closer to one another. And I hope I get to know some of you that I don't know so well just yet. But I want to just say I'm thankful, I'm grateful, I'm appreciative of my church family. And I hope you are as well. Um, I know that when Dietrich Bonhoeffer came together, and let me just say it once again, he did not die because of his faith. He didn't necessarily die a martyr. He died because he was caught in a plot to kill uh, Hitler in Nazi Germany. But the reality is, what happened as a result, and let me just say this, persecution was real during his day. Uh, He didn't have the freedom to openly worship, to openly preach, and to openly teach the Bible. And that's why he was leading a number of Uh, students in an underground seminary because he couldn't do it openly. We still have the freedom to do it openly. But as those freedoms were taken away from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he learned that there was something special about the family of God, something special that drew drew each of them together inside of a prison, so to speak. So often, because of a very sinfulness of our flesh... In mankind, there's an inevitable desire to rule over control other, or, to, or to control others. It's kind of a natural tendency for people who are strong or strong personalities or somebody who may be loud, more loud or more vocal to have the desire to kind of rule over someone else. And he says, if we're going to be a family of God, we don't need people ruling over each other. Because, once again, we are one and the same in the body of Christ. So it's not the idea that I'm better than you or I'm more significant than you or I have a better, bigger personality so I'm going to tell you what to do and you have to do it. He said we can't have that in the body of Christ. And we can't have that in this underground, I mean in this prison that we're in. Otherwise there's going to be chaos. And what he said oftentimes, and we understand this to be true, is that oftentimes we hurt those that are closest to us. You know, it's the ones who are closest to us that we often, you know, that often take the brunt of our frustrations. The brunt of our being tired. The brunt of our chaos that happens outside these walls at work. Or the brunt of problems within the family. But oftentimes, because the ones that are closest to us are nearest the most, they often are the ones that get hurt the the easiest and the most. So realizing that this group of people spent so much time together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, these are things that we must practice in the body of Christ. These seven ministries, if you will, in the body of Christ. Well, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started in the message this morning. Lord God, as we come before you, God, we ask that you would just, through your Holy Spirit, teach us what it means to be a body. Lord, to live in peace together as a body of Christ, as a family of Christ. And I ask God that you would, uh, Lord, if there be any of us, Lord, uh, Lord, are not sure how to deal with these things, Lord, are not sure of our relationship with you, Lord, might that be settled soon? And Lord, as we come together as a body of believers, as a family of believers, might, Lord, we exercise putting others first and living together in harmony and unity, Lord. And speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So when I first read through this couple chapters of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, 
I thought, well, this is an interesting way of understanding ministry. If I were to say, hey, get involved in ministry, that kind of looks different for many of us. But we have the idea that it's the idea of serving. And so he took it one step further and says, we're not just going to serve one another. We're going to do it with our lives. And we are going to do it with how we do uh, ministry together. We're going to do it very simplistically. So the first ministry that he encouraged amongst his body of believers was the ministry of holding one's tongue. You say, well, that'd be a great ministry for many people to implement. If you could just hold your tongue, if you would just not say some things that you're thinking out loud, well, he really challenged them to hold their tongue. And he said on page 91, often we combat our evil thoughts most effectively if we absolutely refuse to allow them to be expressed in words. And that's so true. I mean, if we could just shut our mouths once in a while, how much things, how many things would be better? If we just wouldn't blab, if we wouldn't just, as soon as that thought comes to our head, if we wouldn't express them in words, if we would learn to hold our tongue. And so many times we kind of blurt and then we wish we could take it back with an eraser, but yeah, words don't come with an eraser. Can't undo what's been said. And so we have to think out loud or think before we speak uh, aloud. In James chapter 3 verse 2, we're challenged to guard what we say and how we say it. In James chapter 3 verse 2 it says, For we all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Well, the reality is that we do stumble. Has anybody ever said anything you wish you could take it back? Has anybody ever said anything to you that you wish they would take it back? I mean, there's all kinds of circumstances where people say things and we wish they wouldn't say it. But they do. And there's times we wish we didn't say something, but we did. So he says, if we could just combat our evil thoughts effectively by refusing to allow them to be expressed in words. How important is that? So, for we all stumble in many things, but if anyone does not stumble in word, he is perfect. Well, none of us are perfect. And we do stumble. But if we can do that, we can bridle the whole body. And then he says in Psalm chapter 50, verses 20 and 21, consider each situation and how it should be said. He says, you sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. I thought about that for a minute. How often do siblings attack each other? How often do siblings go on a warpath with words? And the reality is, he says, these things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. We need to be careful what we say and how we say it. And uh, realize that especially, even though he's talking about a brother, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. What about how we treat others with our words? Here's the thing. They're in a small prison camp. They're in an isolated area. And he says, we're growing together in Christ. And if we are going to continue to grow together in Christ, we must guard our words. Is that any different for us today? See, in a body of Christ, we still must guard our words and be careful what we say. I've been guilty in the past. You've been guilty in the past. We've got to work on this. We are one another in the body of Christ. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Also, not speaking evil of your brother. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says, Do not speak evil one of another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? Wow. What if we just realize that we're not the judge? 
But so often we have such strong opinions. We have such strong ideas that if you don't listen to what I'm going to say, if you don't believe what I'm going to tell you, then we just get upset and we begin to judge and we begin to attack with our words. He says, do not speak evil one of another. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, so over a few pages, 4, verse 29, he says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. There were two things that were reminded to me and my wife when we went through our premarital counseling way back when. Over 27 years ago, we sat down in the office of Pastor Steve Schroeder, and he worked with us as we were thinking about getting married. Man, how we thought we knew so much back in those days, right? We didn't know nothing. But we sat down, and he said, there's two things that we tried to practice our entire married life. And number one, not letting evil communication come out of our mouth. And number two, not going to bed angry. We've tried to do that. I have failed at times on that. I have failed miserably at times, like, at times uh, concerning that. But one of the things we need to work on is not being angry, not letting corrupt words come out of our mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification. The whole idea of edification is building up. Do our words build up or do they tear down? And especially in the body of Christ, and especially in a small-knit family, all the more important are our words. Do we edify? Do we build up? Do we encourage? Do we promote uh, unity? That it may be grace to the hearers. There's a couple of things he says that I thought were really good I want to share with you this week. Uh, on page 93, he has a couple good statements I want to just bring to your attention. He says, where this discipline of the tongue is practiced right from the beginning, each individual will make a matchless discovery. He will be able to cease from constantly scrutinizing the other person, judging him, condemning him, putting him in his particular place where he can gain ascendancy over him, and thus doing violence to him as a person. Now he can allow the brother to exist as a completely free person as God made him to be. His view expands and to his amazement for the first time he sees shining above his brethren the richness of God's creative glory. God did not make this person as I would have made him. He did not give him to be as a brother for me to dominate and control. But in order that I might find above him the creator. What would be different about our words and our communication with one another in the body of Christ if we would view that other person as the image of Jesus Christ? As one created in God's image. And see the glory of God in that person as God created him. So I'm not his boss. I'm not to be dominant over him. I'm not to be controlling over him. But we are all one in the body of Christ. And because of it, I don't control that other person. How many churches across America do we have one or two or three that want to control everything? They want to use their words to dominate, their words to control, their words to dictate how everyone else has to respond. Well, God's word says that's not right. We should look at that other person as an image of Jesus Christ, someone created with God's glory, and we treat them with respect, with, with uh, utmost respect. Then he goes on to say on page 94, I like this one as well. In a Christian community, everything depends upon whether each individual is an indispensable link in a chain. Think about that just for a moment. Every one of you in this body are a link in a chain. Each and every one of you are a link in a chain. He goes on to say, Only when, only when even the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. 
A community which allows unemployed members to exist within it will perish because of them. It will be well, therefore, if every member receives a definite task to perform for the community, that he may know in hours of doubt that he, too, is not useless and unusable. Every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but also that the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is the death of the fellowship. Think about that for a moment. Every one of you are a link. Every one of you are indispensable. And every one of us, as he says here, should have a task to perform, if nothing else, being linked together with one another. But you know what? That gets right back to what God says in his word. He did not create us to be loners. He did not create us to just be you know, off on our own doing our own thing. He created us for us to be a body, to be a family. We are a link that is linked together. Really, the motivation for all this is our love for one another. But think about it this way. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For we are His workmanship created unto good works. We can take the time to go back to James chapter 2 and realize that faith without works is dead. And so as it comes to the body of Christ, every one of us, not only are we a link, but we are a link that does something that holds us together. And he says, even the weak ones are important. Because if nothing else, it helps hold everyone else together. Let's do our part. Let's make sure that we are a strong link. If we're weaker, we need to get stronger. And how do we do that? We hold on to the task that God has given to us. So, I shared with the people in the first service, is that every one of us has a story. It's amazing. I can look around this entire auditorium this morning, and those of you that I know, some of you I don't know as well, but I look around and I say, each of you has a story. Something that God has done in your life. Something that He has allowed into your circumstance, your uh, sphere of influence as a family that has made you what you are. It's amazing. Some of you have some scars. And some of those scars hurt and they're deep and they're wounds that have taken time to heal. But the reality is they're your scars. They're your story. They have made you what you are today. And when we take our scars, our experiences our circumstances, and use them for one another in the body of Christ, we'll become stronger as a result of it. Amen. When you think about that, some of you have been through some difficult things. But someone else is about to go through some difficult things. And when they do, you're right there to help them and make that link stronger. Others of you have been through some experiences that you wouldn't wish on your enemies, but you've gone through them. And it's your link that has made you stronger. The bottom line is, we are one in the body of Christ. You know, it's amazing. You know, if any of us got stuck and we got out in a snowbank and we went down over the embankment and somebody pulls out a bunch of links from a chain. I mean, there's a whole pile. Let's, let's just dump out a five-gallon bucket full of chain links. Is that going to do anything? No. But if those chain links are all linked together and, and welded together, creating one solid chain, then you can pull that vehicle out. It doesn't matter how big, how strong that link is by itself. If it's not connected to another, it's worthless, right? Every one of us are a link. And every one of us ought to be linked together. And when we do that, we become stronger. But he says part of this link is to treat each other with love and respect. Because we're all important. He says the elimination of the weak link is the death of a fellowship. Each of us needs to do our part and be who God has created us to be. 
So there's the ministry, as he calls it, of holding the tongue. Then there's the ministry of meekness, he says. Have we learned to think little of ourselves? Have we learned to think little of ourselves? Some of us have a really high opinion of who we are. Some of us think we're pretty good people. We're, we're pretty great. I mean, in fact, just, just ask me. I'll tell you just how good I am. Some of us have not learned to think little of ourselves. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, Or I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He says, don't think highly, too, too highly of yourself. Because when we think about it, we are nothing. Let me just say that again. We are nothing. God's Word tells us, it reminds us that your righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. He says in Jeremiah, he says, your heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't even know the depths of our wickedness. He goes on to say in verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. That's why he says in a multitude of counselors there is what? Wisdom. If we think we have all the answers, if we think we know every, the, 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 the solution to every problem, be careful. He says, do not set your mind on things, but on, your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Learn how sinful and fleshly we really are. He says on page 95 in, in the book, only he who lives by the forgiveness of his sin in Jesus Christ will rightly think little of himself. When we realize just how sinful we are, when we realize just how desperately wicked our flesh is, and then we realize that there is a God who loved us so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross to shed His blood for that sin, will we begin to realize that how wicked we are and how blessed we are for the forgiveness that He offers us. Last week when I was in premarital counseling, the couple looked at me and they said, we did something we've never done before. We watched the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He goes, I was just, wow. He said, I just never understood that. He goes, he didn't hardly look like a man. I said, you know what, that's scriptural. God's word says that when Jesus died on a cross, he says his visage was so marred that he didn't even look like a man. And when you begin to realize that Jesus Christ died on a cross and shed his blood, that we might have forgiveness of sin. Only then, when we begin to realize how our forgiveness was attained, do we begin to have a right perspective of who we are in Jesus Christ. Sinners. All of us. Sinners. In need of a Savior. And only then will we begin to realize that I'm nothing. I don't have to have my way. I don't have to push my thoughts and my opinions and my preferences towards, towards and on everyone else. Only he who lives by the forgiveness of his own sin in Jesus Christ will rightly think little of himself. He goes on to say, To forgo self-conceit and to associate with the lowly means in all soberness and without mincing the matter, to consider himself one, in oneself the greatest of sinners. Straight from the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 
That, ver- that phrase just keeps coming up. And we should all argue, not just me, not just you, but every one of us should argue the point that we are all the cheapest of sinners. That we are all worthy of hell, except for the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says, if we would each consider ourselves the greatest of sinners. So in this body of believers that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was working with and discipling and encouraging as a family... He says, there's not one of us that is better than another. There's not one of us who is perfect and the other one's not. We are all sinners, blessed by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He goes on and shares a third ministry that he wanted to practice within the body of Christ there in prison. It was the ministry of listening. Whoa, can you imagine that one? If we would just learn to listen? I don't know about you, but that is hard for me. Unless you judge, it's probably hard for you too, men, especially. I just want, as when my wife comes home from work and she starts telling me something that took place at school, in my first millisecond of hearing what happened, what do I want to do? Here's how you fix it. Because that's what we do as men, we fix it. I can tell you how to take care of that. Just give me 30 seconds, I'll deal with it. How often do we just learn to listen? I know women got to get their words out for the day. I get it. But my wife just says, I, I don't want a solution. I just want, I just want to get off my chest so I can just say it once. Right? But if you don't want an answer and you don't want a solution, why are you telling me? Right, guys? That's what we do. But what about just simply listening? Not with an agenda. Not with an ulterior motive, but just listening. Have we learned to listen, really listen to our brothers and sisters in the fellowship? Here's what I found out over the years. A lot of people have a lot of things going on behind closed doors that a lot of people have no idea about. Do you understand that? See, it's really easy to come to church every week and we have Bible in hand and, hey, how's it going, Pat Answer? Good, great, fine. And you know what I found over the years? You can come with your nice clothes and looking all good and all looking sharp and talking and everything seems so good on the outside. But inside they're hurting. And you have no clue. They're struggling and you have no idea. There's problems and you don't know about it. And what we need to realize is that when we come in, and sometimes someone just needs someone to listen, but they don't because they don't want to be judged, don't want to be condemned, don't want to be hurt. But have we learned to listen to one another? Sometimes the best thing we can do is to not say anything, but to just listen. And when we do that, it could be that God would use you to encourage someone. I remember someone came into my office one time and said, Pastor, I need to have a talk. I said, okay. So we sat down and just talked and 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 talked. I never said a word. And when they left, she goes, thanks for the conversation. I really needed that. I didn't say anything. But they needed someone to listen. I might have wanted to, but I didn't. 
Have we learned to listen? He says, a soft answer turns away wrath. He says, be slow to answer. Why? So that we can gather the facts, so we can hear everything. But sometimes the best thing said is nothing, because the more important thing is listening. In the body of Christ, we need to learn to listen to one another. He shares a fourth ministry, and that is of helpfulness. Are we willing to help our fellow brothers and sisters with what might be the most trivial of things? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. Let me say that again. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. Are we ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God? I don't know about you, but it seems as I've said a thousand times, any time that there's never a convenient time to help someone. It seems like every opportunity to help somebody is when you've got ten things going on. But time is of, the nat- uh, time is of, of, of necessity here. I'll give you an example. My wife's not in here, so I can talk about her just for a minute. <laughs> Yesterday, she calls me, and I'm here at the church studying, putting some touches on my message, but I'm in my office, and I'm under a time constraint because I've got to leave in 30 minutes, and I'm not quite done. I'm not quite satisfied with where I'm at yet. And she goes, i got a problem. Okay, what's, what's the problem? My license plate is dangling. I'm like, how is your license plate dangling? I didn't say this out loud because I'm, I'm listening. My ministry of listening. But in my mind, yeah, you know me. In my mind I'm thinking, how is the license plate dangling? It's on a bracket. I, so I, I'm trying to figure out what she's saying. So she's got some guy pulling her out as she's coming out of Royal Car Wash. She's going to all these next door next. And she's like, some guy flagged her down and says, your license plate thing. The whole panel, the door handle and everything, the whole thing has come off. It's, it's, it's hanging on by two wires, which are the lights that light up the license plate. I'm thinking, she goes, I need you to come over to Aldi's. Oh. <laughs> All right, be there in a minute. So I grab my trusty tools, a bag of zip ties, two-sided Gorilla Tape, and duct tape. Seriously, it's going to fix something. I don't know what, but it's going to fix something. And I get over there, and I see this thing. How in the world does this thing break? I, I don't know. I'm sitting there, I'm, what am I supposed to do with this 18-inch by 14-inch panel that has fallen off her car? I looked at it, kind of put it up in place, it pops down. Put it back up in place, it pops down. <laughs> Duct tape. <laughs> We chose for the four-inch wide Gorilla Tape. I'm just telling you, I don't care who it is. I don't care what you're doing. Opportunities to help others are never convenient. Anybody agree? It seems like every time you are in the middle of doing something that you need to get done, that's when the phone rings. That's when someone says, I need your help. So he says here, Are we willing to help? Are we willing to forgo what we're doing to be an encouragement and help to someone else? Now, of course, I'm going to help my wife. She's my wife. 
doesn't matter who it is, really. But especially in the body of Christ. Are we willing to forsake what we have to get done at times, which can be more flexible than what we want to believe it is, to help someone else? And Diedrich Bonhoeffer reminds these people we need to be willing to help one another. So there is a ministry of helpfulness. Are we willing to be interrupted by God? Then there's the ministry of bearing. Bearing has the idea of holding up someone else. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Bearing means forbearing and sustaining. The brother is a burden to the Christian precisely because he is a Christian. For the pagan, the other person never becomes a burden at all. He simply sidesteps every burden that others may impose upon him. You hear what Bonhoeffer is saying? He said, if you're a believer, it necessitates the fact that you bear the burdens. He said, if you're not a believer, walk away. You have no responsibility, no obligation. Because if you're not a believer, just worry about number one. That's all you have to think about. But he says, the brother is a burden to a Christian precisely because he is a Christian. And he says, those of us that have the ability to do good, we should do it. If we have the, uh, the, the wherewithal to help someone, we should do that. That's what God has called us to. It's the ministry of bearing one another. And in fact, Jesus Christ gave the greatest example of this. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5, he says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. He went to the cross and bore our burdens, our sinfulness. He exemplified it beautifully. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, upholding one another in love. Let me ask you an honest question. Is there someone in this body you don't love? Seriously. Now, there's a statement. I'll, I'll, I'll qualify this just a little bit. I asked my wife, I said, Don, I know you love me, but do you like me? That's a different subject. We all know that, right, right ladies? You love your husband, but do you really like him? There's times that, yeah, I, I, when, I, when I can say that to Don, she goes, I like you. I'm like, sweet. Because I know every one of us, we can, we can build up a pile of chips and we can blow them out in two seconds. With one stupid statement. I've done it. Wish I could change it, but can't take it back. It's done. I know you love one another. But I think we need to like one another too. It's a challenge sometimes because in our own selfishness, and our own pride, we're better than that person. Or we do it better than that person. Or I'm smarter than that person. Or fill in the blank. He says, bearing with one another in love. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against a brother, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. How often has somebody in the body of Christ hurt you? Sinned against you? Said something that was disappointing to you? And you've got the wall built. You've got a grudge against them. And you're not going to let them live it down. 
and neither are you going to forget about it. And he says, just as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. There should be a genuine love for one another in the body of Christ, right? That should be real. shouldn't be fake. shouldn't be false. It should be real. Love one another. Over the years, I've learned something about church life. If I had a nickel for every time somebody said something, I'd be rich. That hurt my feelings anyway. You would be too. goes with the territory because we're all sinful human beings living in the flesh at times more than we ought. But what I've learned over the years is that oftentimes because we don't practice forgiveness, someone will get upset and they just leave. And when they leave, well, you should, you, you wouldn't understand what that church did to me. No, it wasn't the church. It was one individual that you chose not to deal with it. It's usually not the church. It's one individual of the church. And it's so important. That's why we deal with things. That we confront sinfulness. And we have to ask ourselves this question sometimes. Did they really sin against me or did they just say something I didn't like? There's a difference. People say things I don't like. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they sinned against me. So there's a question there. Do I just not like what they said or did or do they really actually sin against me? If they sin against me, then I have a responsibility biblically to deal with it. It's called Matthew 18. Confront them. And this is the sin that you did. But if you just said something or did something I don't like, build a bridge, get over it. Life will go on. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning, Lord willing. But sometimes we get everything upside down twisted because they hurt my feelings. That's what happens in a world full of sinful human beings. But that's where love comes in. That's where 1 Corinthians 13 love comes in. Because love thinks no what? Evil. So the idea is that when someone says something or does something that I don't like, I'm going to automatically assume they didn't do it on purpose. Because love thinks no evil. They didn't do it on purpose. But in our flesh, we want to say, I'll get even. I'll, I'll, I'll get even. Rather than practicing forgiveness. Bonhoeffer says we've got a small group of people living in this small area. If we are going to get through these difficult times, we have to love one another, bear one another's burdens. We have to forgive one another. And this also applies to one's spiritual state. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, in verse 9 and 10, verse 9 talks about how there are two are better than one, for if one falls, they have the other. Verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Question. Who do you go to for encouragement in the body of Christ? You should have someone that you can go to. You should have someone that you're friends with. I'm thankful that we have a variety of people out here. Some of you I know real well, some of you I don't know well at all, but I'm excited to get to know you. Because you have some strengths and some characteristics that I need to learn from. Some of you have the ability to encourage and lift up when, I, when I'm down. There's days I don't feel good and someone says, hey, Pastor, I'm praying for you. And, you know, automatically you feel better when you know someone's praying for you and they're encouraging you. Who is it that you go to? You need to have somebody. I love that. 
Two are better than one, he says. And here's the beauty of it. In the body of Christ, you don't have to go it alone. You don't have to. If you're going it alone, it's because you're choosing to do that. You're choosing to do that. I don't know how an unsaved world who doesn't have a family, how they get through certain things. I don't. I'd rather have somebody to encourage me, somebody to help me up when I'm down. And that's what we have the body of Christ for. And Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brother, if a man be overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. There are times that not only physically, but spiritually, we have to come, to come alongside someone and help them back on the right path. We do that in gentleness and in love. Considering myself, because only but by the grace of God am I not in the same situation, right? So we help one another. So there's the ministry, he said, of bearing one another. Then number six, there's a ministry of proclaiming. It's the idea of we're going to freely proclaim the word of God. Why? Because we have a message. We have a message. It's the most important message that any one of us could have. It's from the word of God. And this is what we proclaim. And James chapter 5, verse 20 says, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There's a world around us that needs Jesus. When you think of what Jesus Christ did on this earth, when he talked to those who claimed to be spiritual, what did he talk about? Judgment, damnation. When he talked to the unsaved world, what was his theme? The love of God. The world around us doesn't need to see more critical spirit. And I'm good at that sometimes. I see what's going on and I get irritated, I get frustrated. But the reality is what I ought to be talking to to an unsaved world is how great God is and how loving he is and how much he loves you. Things that aren't right are glaringly obvious. Anybody disagree? When something's not working, it stands out. I don't have to draw attention to it because it's already drawing attention to itself. But what do we do? We draw attention about to it and we gripe about it. <laughs> but what if we, rather than griping about what is so glaringly obviously wrong, if we just would continuously point people to the love of God? He loves you that much. You have experienced God's love. What might be different? Proclaiming the word of God and his love. And then number seven, he says, we're going to stand on the authority of God's word. It's not my opinion. It's not your opinion. It's not my preference or your preference. It's not my thought or your thought. It's the authority of God's word. What might be different in our body? You know, all these things, we're talking about living in difficult days. He's living in, under the oppression of Nazi Germany. And he said, this is how we're going to get through it. Really, it comes down to this. Very simply, this is the most simple as aspect of it, just simply pointing everything to the Word of God. But he said, in doing so, we are going to practice the ministry of holding our tongues. We're going to be kind in our words towards one another in this small circle. We are going to practice a ministry of meekness, because it is not about us, it's about being humble. It's the ministry of listening a ministry of helpfulness, a ministry of bearing one another, a ministry of proclaiming God's word and 
the ministry of proclaiming the authority of God in his word. What might be different in all of our lives if we would be simply committed to these things? Because here's the deal. This is what helped them live amidst the difficult days they were living in. Once again, I'm not a prophet, but I don't think things are going to get better. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I hope I am. But if things do get progressively worse in the world that we live in, we've had so good. You know, what we experienced a little bit this year, other countries experience every year in their elections. Go to Africa. Pick any country in Africa. Election time means chaos. It means war. It means murder. It means killing. That's what most of the African countries go through in election years. We've had it good. But what if things do change? How are you going to get through it? I promise you, you won't get it through going by yourself. You're going to need the encouragement and support of one another in the body of Christ. Now more than ever. I hope we get that. And I would challenge you. Those of you that are here this morning, some of you know each other real well. Some of you don't know each other at all. I would encourage you, if there's someone you don't know, get to know them. Hey, I see you every week. What's your name? What do you do for a living? Is there anything I can pray for? Some of us walk in every week and we say, hey, that's as far as it goes. you got to get to know each other in the body of Christ. You may need them one day. They may need you one day. I hope we don't get to know our person three seats over in a time of despair and tragedy. Let's get to know them freely beforehand so that we can encourage one another and be encouraged by one another in the body of Christ. Find somebody you don't know and get to know them. Enrich their lives. Be enriched by their life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us to realize the importance of one another in the body of Christ. Lord, some of them are here this morning. Some of them are here every Sunday morning. Others we see sporadically. Others are watching from home in the privacy of their own homes. But Lord, how we need each one, each and every one of us need each other. I pray, Lord, that we would encourage one another, that we would pray for one another, that we would love on one another. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be emptied of self, Lord, that we would truly learn to tame our tongue that we would practice meekness and humility, that we would practice bearing one another. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to proclaim the word faithfully and diligently on the authority of the word of God, learning to listen and help. God, I pray that you'd help us to do in and of ourselves, or, or through you, Lord, what we could not do in and of ourselves. Lord, help us to realize how significant each one of us are in the length of this chain. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And just ask for a moment that no one be looking around. But each and every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. Maybe you don't think too much about each other in the body of Christ. Yeah, you've got your couple friends. You've got the people that you know fairly well because you've seen them for many years. But maybe there's some people you don't know. Maybe there's some people that you don't think of. Maybe it's because you haven't realized just how important the body of Christ is. I hope you realize it's important. 
We need each other. Not because of what we can get out of each other, but what we can contribute to the family dynamic and a church family dynamic. Maybe this morning you're saying, I, I'm beginning to realize how important this is and how much I need each other. By God's grace, you're going to make a commitment to, to encourage one another, to, to make each other's lives better. Maybe that's your desire this morning. With God's help, by God's grace, you want to get to know others. Encourage one another. Be encouraged by one another. Get to know those that you don't know so well. Maybe that's what God is challenging your heart. Say, pray for me. Anyone like that this morning? God's challenging you to become a faithful part. To get to know others. Pray for me. Anyone like that? Yes. Yes. Can I just encourage you to make yourself available? Someone you don't know, say, hey. I see you, but I don't know your name. Get to know somebody. Be encouraged by them. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord, Lord, we can be so selfish. Sometimes we can only worry about ourselves. But Lord, I pray that we would think of others. Put others first. That we might become stronger in the body of Christ that we would be more faithful to meeting each other's needs and encouraging one another, especially when they're going through difficult days. Lord, would you work in our hearts, draw us closer to you. And Lord, for each of us who raised our hand and our heart towards you, Lord, might we be faithful to do our part to strengthen the body. And Lord, help us to realize all of us are important. We may think we're nothing, we may think that we're a weak link, but God, even the weak links help hold all the links together. So Lord, help us to do our part and to get stronger as we go. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.